CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley will be giving us an update on his accessibility push. So, can you tell me a little bit about the latest with your initiatives for accessibility? Well, one of the things that I'm working on with the Ontario Disability Employment Network for the third year is to have communities and landmarks across Canada to to light it up, which is to uh, recognize and spotlight many ways people have a disability contributing to businesses and their communities. And last year, we were quite successful with everything from Niagara Falls to the CN Tower, City Halls, from coast to coast, even up to Nunavut. So that's what it's all about. Uh, this right now, and this is for October. And uh, so that's taking a lot of time and energy because I have a very small office, a staff of one, and yet we're writing to every major community in the country to say, please join us this year. So when you mention uh, a push for awareness of disabilities. Does that include things that can't be seen as easily, such as mental health concerns? It, to me, it is. It's just a total package. Uh, you're quite correct. I mean, there's the visible disabilities, and as we know, that um, that's uh, a proportion of people with disabilities, but there's many other issues with people that uh, really are sight unseen. So anytime that you're bringing awareness, I think that uh, is really important. And in this case, the Light It Up for uh, campaign is to uh, point out the contribution that uh, people make with disabilities and that uh, we need to understand that better, especially when you look at the context of what's even going on right now with the workforces and people leaving the workforces and the opportunities that exist uh, for people uh, with with disabilities. And, um, you know, now we have a chance to mentor people and, and the way people are working from home and give them a chance to show their abilities. So, with the Light It Up campaign, have you seen a generally positive response from the communities you've contacted? Oh, definitely. 
And one of the ones that was really important to me uh, was from Nineveh, where the capital city, where the mayor and council actually discussed it there and decided to do it. And this was last year, and it was the same time they were facing a major water crisis, but they thought it was important. And again, you know, we've got all these landmarks. We've got the Halifax Harbor, uh, CN Tower. We've got uh, major buildings in Toronto. We've got BC Place, uh, Hamilton, Ottawa. Uh, so it's, it's really in Calgary, the tower there. So um, it'll be a group of federal buildings uh, that will be joining this campaign. And I know awareness is just one part of it. But the more awareness and people talking about issues, the better it is for us when we are doing the employment advocacy for people with disabilities. So, in other words, you're getting it in their minds to get them to ask their own questions and see what they can do with the next step sort of thing. That's exactly it, is to uh, uh, make them think about it. and Why are we doing this across the country? And as it's growing every year, now heading into the third year, it certainly is having an impact. And uh, especially when you get the federal government to decide they want to be part of this. And uh, and hopefully um, you know, getting the public service on board to uh, be much more uh, stronger and aggressive in their disability hiring. Because I think most of us know a lot of disability uh, numbers that are pointed out in the employment workforce uh, often come because the disabilities happened after employment, not prior to it. And that's a critical group that we want to get more established, those uh, who presently have disabilities but do not have employment. So, in that sense, uh, kind of curious, what was the inspiration behind Light It Up itself? Uh, it came from the Ontario Disability Employment Network, a coalition of different groups in the province, and a group I've worked with for many years, and in fact, uh, was their first champion that was recognized publicly, and then that's grown over the last number of years. Uh, it, it just came about uh, over time, and you know, and then we had the big debate: is uh, uh, to, we want to move it away from being a lighting event to becoming a movement that ignites conversation about disability inclusion and employment, and that's how it evolved. Because awareness is one thing, but actual results is obviously more important. So, do you have any advice to anyone out there within the employment sphere? might be wondering, what steps can I take to be inclusive? Uh, what can I do to prepare for the day that someone with a disability wants to come and work for me? Well, most cities have someone who's mandated to do that. Uh, secondly, I would contact some of the local private sector groups, community living, nonprofits, community living, uh, Goodwill. There's a number of agencies out there just to say, you know, can I fit into what you're doing? And you'll find that those organizations are quite open for, for discussion. And in my own case in Sarnia, the Mayor's Challenge came about because of uh, the leadership of Community Living that said, could you use your position to advocate for us across Ontario? And then, as you know, Cam, that uh, last uh, number of years, you know, pre-COVID, it actually went national with Newfoundland and Labrador and Alberta uh, coming on board. So it's always a work in progress, but I will say in the last five years, six years, we've gone away from the charity approach to uh, this is good for your business. And that's why the uh, Mayor's Challenge uh, has focused on that. Uh, it's, it's good for your business. And here's all the reasons why. And I think that's becoming better known uh, in a lot of communities. So with the COVID recovery, do you think that uh, things as we've seen them in regards to people with disabilities getting in the workforce and having new opportunities, do you see that continuing? 
Yes, I do. And I see it growing because I've always viewed it in the last 10 years as a civil rights issue. And I think you're going to, I'm hoping we'll see much more uh, aggression, I guess, in, in the use of um, human rights codes and other things to get the results that are needed. Because, you know, even Ontario, we're, we're far behind on implementing some of the things that we're committed to by uh, 2025. So I see that as part of it. Uh, you know, you, you try to get what you can through advocacy, and then you have to make some decisions. This is not charity that people are getting, you know, getting the opportunity for employment. It's an opportunity that is also not just good for the person, but also good for the employer. So do you see the Accessible Canada Act as opening further doors in this way? I do um, never like the heavy approach, but sometimes you've got to. Sometimes you've got to just uh, say, look, um, you know, the, the progress is too incremental, too slow. And that's what I meant about this being a civil rights issue to me, not a charitable issue for people. And, uh, you know, we've come a long way, but we got so much further to go to make sure that it's understood that, you know, again, you can boost your business, you can boost your government if you... Uh, are thinking about hiring people with disabilities when you're going through this process. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Okay, thanks, Ken. Of course. This next interview was done on location at a recent disabilities meeting. Sam Wells here with... Lisa Beer. She's going to be telling me a little bit about what led her out to this uh, summit meeting today to talk about some of the future initiatives for Every Canadian Counts as part of uh, the ongoing disability push. So what brings you out here today? Well, several things. Um, I'm a Canadian Certified Inclusion Professional. Uh, I grew up with a grandmother who caught polio during the polio epidemic in the 1950s, so I'm quite familiar with the hospital system. And I viewed the evolution of patient care to client care in the healthcare system in our country. I'm very aware of the inequities across our nation in terms of the availability and the quality of health care and how that impacts persons with disabilities. Um, I also have people that are close to me that have mental health issues, uh, a variety of physical disabilities or in combinations thereof. And I look at the impact of disabilities in our country in terms of housing, uh, whether or not marriages uh, fail, in terms of how people are able to care for their children, how people are able to find staff that are able to be in their workforce, how we manage the knowledge that we've accumulated. And I'm very concerned because the current rate of disabilities is over 20% in our country. And that's just the people that have reported disabilities. It's a very underreported um, statistic because a lot of people don't want to admit that they have a disability or they're in lengthy waiting lines waiting for diagnoses. Uh, for myself, I had a brain injury seven years ago and it was over 18 months before I could actually have a doctor who specialized in brain injuries give me any kind of an assessment. And I was bounced around the health care system and very unable at that point to cope for myself. And it cost me quite a few things. I had to retire, uh, my marriage failed, and for a while I had great difficulty being a good parent. Um, it also cost me friends. So, out of curiosity, when you mentioned the whole mental health aspect, mm -hmm. do you think part of the reason people uh, don't get the right supports is the fact that it's not a disability you can as easily see or hear or quantify. 
some people might look at it as, oh, there's nothing really wrong with you sort of thing. Uh, invisible disability is definitely part of it. Um, also, a great factor is the lack of people going into mental health care fields. Uh, one of the number one understaffed positions across our country is mental health care for children. Um, people are leery of dealing with mental health issues. It's stigmatizing to admit that you have a mental health challenge. It's hard to get a diagnosis. It's hard to find someone qualified to help you. And a lot of the insurance companies are extremely limited in terms of what they're willing to cover and what they consider a qualified practitioner. So how do you suggest we as a society get beyond those first glance myths and misperceptions concerning uh, any sort of disability? That it's not something you're branded with because you did something wrong, that it's just one facet of life? I think the Bell Let's Talk campaign has been really great at opening the eyes of some people. Uh, people are actually starting to discuss it more in social media, um, and it's more, more acceptable, but I still find that only certain mental health issues are considered to be acceptable in the wide stream. Uh, the ones that are uh, more stigmatizing, for example, schizophrenia, are often over-dramatized in the media and that doesn't help the stigma for people trying to come forward to get help. It's also difficult sometimes for people to get prescriptions because not all prescriptions are covered by insurance. Do you find that the media portrays these things in extremes? Like, if you see someone with schizophrenia portrayed on screen, you might tend to see a pronounced worst-case scenario version just so the audience gets the idea. Well, first of all, I need to note that I'm not a mental health professional and I'm not an expert on schizophrenia or mental health issues. But from my opinion, what I've seen is, yes, the media does over-dramatize to excite the viewer rather than tell people the facts. So, in your work and your ongoing advocacy, has there been any success that you've experienced that stands out for you? success is small steps and it really depends on what the disability is. Uh, some are much better known than others. Uh, the establishment of employment equity groups back in the 1990s and the federal government uh, meant that there was creation of employment equity advisory groups including one for persons with disability in each of the federal government departments within Canada. Um, for example, uh, and one of the things that happened uh, with the persons with disability group that we had is we had an employee that came to us and they had a particular allergy and no one else had ever heard of the allergy. 
they were allergic to oranges. And this person was gaining a lot of pushback because they were trying to ask people around them to not eat oranges at lunch because it was causing them to have an allergic reaction. And so our group got on board and we went and we talked to the senior managers and we did an education campaign about allergies and about respecting your co-workers. And we got some policies changed and some signage put up and there was no more oranges. Um, really with disability, a lot of it comes down to awareness. I like to believe the best in people and that the majority of people out there don't wanna be doing harm to others and that they want to be respectful. And in those terms, I think awareness is key to getting disability messages across and improving diversity, inclusion, and equity for persons with all disabilities. So, in your own story, um, sounds like there were a lot of hard things that you went through. What were some of the coping strategies you used? And if you have any advice to anyone out there who might just be starting their own story, wondering, can I get through this? What would you tell them? Uh, well, a big thing is not to give up on yourself and to surround yourself by people who will support you and not put you down, not tell you that you can't do it. You might have to relearn how to do it. You might have to do it differently or take it in really small steps really, really slowly. Um, or it may be that you decide that you no longer want to do it because it is just too challenging with your current set of situation, your current set of circumstances. Um, a lot of it is self-belief and support. Uh, for example, there's some things that I will not ever be able to do again because of my injuries. Uh, for example, ice skating. Um, and I've had to rethink other options on what I could do for recreation. And I've started to enjoy going for long walks, for example. Thank you very much. Andy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Tune in to Indie Electric every Friday from 10.30 a.m. until noon, where you can hear a selection of the latest and greatest in independent rock and electronic music. Indie Electric, only here on 99.1 CGEM FM, reaching higher ground in Windsor and Detroit. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley told us a little bit about his latest disability initiative progress, and Lisa Beer shared a little bit of her recovery story. In this segment of our show, Izzy Calmieri will be giving us an update on IZ Adaptive. So, can you tell me a little bit about your latest designs for adaptive clothing? Sure. Um, well, one thing I don't, I, I think that we haven't talked about is I've created a pant that has a seamless back so it's safer for especially wheelchair users to use um, because seams at the back like pockets as well as that center seam can cause a pressure sore 
which can be life-threatening. Um, and for the longest time, people have been asking me to create a pant where the scene was back, but that's a very tricky thing to, to do, and I never thought it was possible um, because that seam at the back helps create the shape of a pant. It, it also provides dimension between back and front and connects back and front. And um, so during COVID, I was able to figure it out. So, so I have a seamless pant. So I'm curious, uh, when you're designing something for someone with a disability, what sort of, in, what inspires you to, to come up with something new, something that fills a need within that community? Well, I guess it's exactly that. It fills a need. Um, and, you know, it has to be something that a lot of people are asking for, because a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of individual requests that it's hard to incorporate um, when you don't know if a lot of people need need it. So when you start hearing from people constantly about something that would be useful to them, but then you find out that it's useful to a lot of people, then you know it becomes something I get more interested in and something I want to figure out how I can incorporate it into the clothes. So... How do you reach out to the disability community, and how do they uh, reach out to you? Well, uh, a few different ways. Um, in terms of people reaching out to me, um, you know, they can email us through the website. They can contact us through social media, and um, and and you know, vice versa. Um, I also. Um, participate in events, um, I uh, reach out to organizations, um, you know, that's how I'm, I'm able to get to the community, and then that's how they're able to get to me. So, what are some of the benefits that uh, users of your clothing designs have experienced so far? I'd imagine pain reduction uh, would be among them for certain things. Yeah, um, pain reduction... Clothes are just easier to get on. They're more comfortable. They um, fulfill needs. They make a person feel included because the clothes just look like anybody else's clothes. So it also helps with you know dignity, um, even sense of self that you're able to wear. What what you know uh, like off the rack clothes that look like off the rack clothes. It doesn't look medical. Um, you know the functionality is all hidden. So again, it's 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 just about you know just being able to wear what anybody else wears. Are there ever any challenges in creating something for someone with a disability? Um, yeah, I think. Well, it depends. When it gets challenging when when people have um, bodies that are unique. So um, doing custom work can be very challenging, depending on what their uniqueness is. Um, not to say that it's impossible or anything, it's just, it's just there's a lot more to consider in terms of their body and how it's shaped and um, just lots of things. Um, but yeah, I think it, the challenges are just more around when people do have unique features um, but 
But let's say for an example, if someone has sustained a spinal cord injury, their body is still the same. It's, I mean, in terms of its shape, but it's just the ability and ability of the body that's changed. But they still, have, their body is still intact, and it still looks like it was before their injury, except it just doesn't function the same. So, in all that you've designed, uh, in terms of adaptive clothing, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Well, probably these, the last pant that I just mentioned, um, because they potentially could save a life. So, you know, that's pretty, pretty powerful and impactful for a garment. Um, it really reduces the risk of, of developing a pressure sore, which, you know, I, I know that the people that have been using these pants have said that it's allowed them more freedom in their life. Often, uh, some people can't can only spend so many hours in a regular pair of pants, and then they have to they have to change. Um, people that have already had a pressure sore, the odds of one coming back are up to eighty percent because the skin is already compromised. So, you know, it's a pretty serious issue, and 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 so being able to improve the quality of somebody's life through a pair of pants is is um, something I'm pretty proud of. So, if you could design anything for the disability community in terms of adapted clothing, what would you create if you had, say, carte blanche, just to spread your wings in that sense? Um, I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Um... You know, lately it's just been um, these pants and offering them in lots of other different styles. Um, and then just expanding, really expanding on this whole concept of, of seamless because there's there's a lot of people out there that seems, just seems in general can be a challenge, even seems in the front. Um, but yeah, like... I mean, sky's the limit in terms of spreading my wings, and could probably seven. I could probably name off seven million things, but there's nothing, no one thing that really screams out at me to create. Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. I'm always fascinated, my friends, at some of the adaptations that can be made to everyday products. Now, adaptive clothing might not be the first thing that comes to mind when you think of disability life, but to someone affected by that disability, it's a day-to-day -day necessity. For the fact is, these products, whatever their primary purpose, can be something of benefit to us all. Take, for example, push-button doors. Yes, originally intended for those in wheelchairs to make facilities more accessible. However, for a mother struggling to hold the hand of her child and carrying groceries, this can have a great advantage. Any smart business person knows their products should be accessible to everyone. The fact is, consumers with disabilities, just like anyone else in that sense, they will go to places and buy products they identify with. They can say, yes, this is me. This is something that is made 
in a way that I can operate it consistently and effectively. This is especially important in the world of disability clothing. But there's always this idea of wanting to be as independent as possible. Many people with disabilities will always put in the extra effort. They will try till they get it right. On first glance, we as a society sometimes say, how could you do that on your own? That's where people with disabilities really shine, in my opinion. You give them a task or a challenge to find a way. They will surprise you. They will come up with it. There's nothing wrong with having something to make their life easier, or in the case of what Izzy is designed, ultimately safer. The fact is, when a person with a disability is at their best, they achieve their best. And we may ultimately enjoy the benefits of said product. Maybe the clothing's more comfortable. Maybe the sports equipment's a little faster, a little stronger. Maybe the door opens a little more easily. The real advantage in supporting someone in disability life is the benefit of seeing the world in a new way, recognizing that it's not just monotone. The world has so many levels, so many types of people, with insights, gifts all their own. Working together, our communities become that much stronger. People with disabilities are just given the right equipment right tools for the job. They will shine every time. And that, my friends, is how we build a better tomorrow. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.